Warning, the following podcast contains discussions of suicide, death by drowning, and references to discrimination against Indigenous Australians. Listener discretion is advised. On the 17th of December 1967, then Prime Minister of Australia Harold Holt convinced his friends and his mistress to join him for a swim before lunch at Cheviot Beach. The day was hot and blustery and the seas were high. This area was known for its riptides and was full of concealed reefs and rocks. Despite this, Holt wanted to swim. He loved the sea and he was an avid swimmer, snorkeler and spearfisher. In fact, he had gone diving at this beach before and salvaged a porthole from the wreck of the SS Cheviot. This was the ship which had sunk here in 1887, with the loss of 35 lives, I should add, and given the beach its name. Holt described knowing the beach like the back of his hand. He entered the water at approximately quarter past 12 and he never returned to shore. According to the testimony from his mistress, Marjorie Gilseppi, Holt had disdained to stay close to the shore and had instead swum out, as he was wont to do, but was soon caught in a rip and dragged out to sea. It was, she said, like a leaf being taken out, so quick and final. A huge search was launched, although it was hampered by the harsh conditions and had to be abandoned several times over the next few weeks. Eventually, it was called off on the 5th of January, 1968, and Harold Holt joined the sad list of Australians who drowned after overestimating themselves in the water. Or did he? I'm Juliana, and you're listening to The Skeptical Historian. Hello, my fellow skeptics. Thank you so much for joining me today as we dive, no pun intended, into the mystery of Harold Holt. Before I begin, I would like to acknowledge that I am podcasting today from the lands of the Wurundjeri Wathorong people, I pay my respect to their elders past, present and emerging, and extend that respect to the Indigenous people of all lands where this podcast is being listened to today. Now, Harold Holt was the Prime Minister of Australia from the 26th of January 1966 until his disappearance on the 17th of December 1967. Now, technically, he was actually still Prime Minister a day after being washed out to sea, as the Governor-General, who is the representative of the monarch in Australia, had to wait for official confirmation he was missing before terminating his commission. Now, that's a fancy word for when the Governor-General of the day has to sack the Prime Minister. It's only happened twice, the first time with Harold Holt, and the second time a few years later with Gough Whitlam, but that's another subject for another day. And after the Governor-General had terminated Harold Holt's commission, he was able to swear in his deputy, who became leader of the Liberal Party and the caretaker Prime Minister of Australia, as the Liberal Party decided to hold an election, given the Prime Minister had died in office. There was the usual kerfuffle over leadership, and there was some political wrangling, but Overall, the government actually carried on relatively smoothly despite the quite dramatic circumstances. Now, Holt wasn't the first prime minister to die in office. It was by no means common. He was the third Australian prime minister to die in office. And so far, we haven't had a fourth. So 
prime ministers, politicians in Canberra. Let's try and keep it that way, please. But I'm actually not here to talk about the Australian government, although that would be an interesting conversation, listeners. I'll file it away in my future episodes list. I want to talk to you today about Harold Holt and examine the question that has risen like the tides at Cheviot Beach since 1967. What really happened that day? There are a ton of theories, most of them based on the fact that his body was never found. Now, without a body, of course, come conspiracy theories. And many of these theorists say that because there is no body, we can't definitively say that Harold Holt is dead. And even those who do agree he's dead tend to dismiss the idea that he could have just drowned. So when we come back from this break, we're going to have a look at some of these ideas, getting the most unlikely and frankly ridiculous out of the way first. Welcome back, skeptics. I hope you haven't swum too far out and are still with me and are ready to get into the many ideas about what happened to Harold Holt. Let's get the most absurd out of the way first, shall we? Harold Holt was not abducted by aliens. No, just, just no. I'm not even going to waste my breath talking about this. Whether aliens exist or not is another topic for another day, maybe. But if they do exist, they're not coming down to Earth and spiriting away the 17th Prime Minister of Australia. Let's put that theory firmly in its coffin and nail the lid on. Rest in peace. On to some less ridiculous ideas. Let's start with the theories that agree Holt is dead although dispute that his drowning was a tragic accident. Shortly after his disappearance, speculation began that Holt might have committed suicide. Some of his political colleagues claimed he was depressed and felt like he'd failed to live up to the legacy of his predecessor. That was the great Liberal Party hero, Robert Menzies. Now, proponents of the suicide theory also point to Holt's marriage difficulties as further evidence that his death was a suicide. He had a wife and multiple mistresses at the time and suggests that he deliberately went swimming in dangerous conditions to make taking his own life easier. If we take these facts in isolation, I can see why this theory might make sense. However, when we tug on the threads, it actually starts to unravel very fast. So prior to his death, Holt was actually planning a major cabinet reshuffle and a review of Australia's foreign policy. And his family and friends actually said that reports he was depressed were exaggerated following his death. He was stressed, he was under pressure, but he was the prime minister and he was the leader of the Liberal Party and no more stressed or pressured than he ever had been, according to those closest to him. As for his marital troubles, his wife, Zara Holt, denied that she had ever contemplated a divorce. And while she wasn't happy about his numerous love affairs, she maintained she loved him and that their marriage had been a happy one. It's also worth noting that the police investigation in 1968 also found that suicide was very unlikely. Harold Holt had followed what they called an ordinary domestic pattern that day and in the days leading up to his death. And there were witnesses at the beach. He invited people to come with him. And suicide in front of witnesses is an extremely rare event. Holt's children, his adult children and their partners all dispute the idea of suicide as well. They point out that he was devoted to them and their families and plans had recently been made for a family get together where he would be able to spend time with his grandchildren who he absolutely adored. So suicide is out or at the very least, very unlikely. 
I don't want to immediately dismiss it because we can never really know in this kind of circumstance and only Harold Holt was in his own mind at the time. However, given the testimony of people close to him, those who knew him best, I think we can all agree it is extremely, extremely unlikely that Harold Holt committed suicide that day. So are there any other theories? Of course there are, or we wouldn't be talking today. So another theory that ends with the death of Holt is that his disappearance was in fact an elaborate assassination plot. Now, Harold Holt biographer Tom Frame, whose fantastic book, The Life and Death of Harold Holt, I have been using extensively in making this episode. It's great. Check it out. Grab a copy. Identifies two distinct assassination theories. One, Harold Holt was assassinated by the CIA. Or two, Holt was assassinated by Viet Cong agents in Australia. We can absolutely dismiss, as Tom Frame does, the idea that the Viet Cong assassinated Harold Holt. There is no evidence that they had the kind of sophisticated intelligence operation in Australia that they would have needed to successfully carry out the assassination of such an important public figure. Also, I think it's worth pointing out that they wouldn't have needed to. Their successful guerrilla campaign in Vietnam was doing more damage to Australia's ability to fight them effectively than murdering the Prime Minister ever would have. But what about the CIA or the Central Intelligence Agency? Well, it is true the CIA at this point in history was an agency that was absolutely out of control and murdering or attempting to murder a foreign head of state was certainly not off the cards. They'd done it before and they would do it again, multiple times in fact, before the Church Commission uncovered their dirty laundry in 1975. However, like Frame, I am deeply sceptical of the idea that the CIA would have wanted Harold Holt dead. According to proponents of this theory, the reason the CIA killed Holt was because he was considering pulling out of Vietnam. The problem with this is that Holt was actually doing no such thing. Supporters argue that Holt's withdrawal of the 1st Battalion of the Royal Australian Regiment in 1966 spooked the CIA, and they decided to kill him before he could pull any more soldiers out of Vietnam. Except that the withdrawal of the 1st Battalion was merely to make way for the much larger 1st Australian Task Force to be deployed. And this tripled the number of Australian troops on the ground in Vietnam. Furthermore, Holt was a fierce advocate for the Vietnam War, and he believed passionately in the menace and threat of communism. He supported the American bombing campaigns in North Vietnam, and he increased conscription in Australia. On a visit to America, he famously declared that when it came to Vietnam, Australia was all the way with LBJ. LBJ, of course, was American President Lyndon B. Johnson, who was also a fierce proponent of war in Vietnam. Clearly, the CIA had nothing to fear from Holt when it came to keeping Australia involved in the Vietnam War. In fact, they probably would have done more damage by killing him. Support for the war was fast waning in Australia, and a new prime minister might not have been so keen to take on an angry anti-war public the way Holt was. No, Holt was certainly not assassinated by the CIA, or anyone else for that matter. So his death was a tragic accidental drowning. Are we all in agreement? Sadly, no. I'm going to take a break, 
And when I get back, I'm going to tell you about the few people who believe with absolute certainty that Harold Holt is still alive. And I am back. Now, before we examine these theories, I want to make abundantly clear that I don't agree or endorse either of them. However, I felt I couldn't honestly do a podcast about the disappearance of Harold Holt without mentioning them and without debunking them, because that's what I'm all about on The Skeptical Historian. Now, the first of these theories is that Holt did not die on the 17th of December. In fact, he faked his own death, the theory goes, to start a new life with a lover. Now, this theory has a few holes. Primarily, he had a wife at home and a mistress who was watching from the beach. Now, Holt had plenty of extramarital affairs, but never did he show any interest in leaving his wife or abandoning his family. He was very close to his three sons and his daughter-in-laws and devoted to his grandchildren. It's also worth mentioning that he had been dreaming of being the prime minister and working towards that goal since he was at least 17 years old. So the idea that he was going to throw that all away for a lover, especially when he had plenty, is, to be frank, ridiculous. On to the last theory. This is one most Australians have probably heard, even just in general conversation, because it's so silly that it refuses to die. In fact, I'll be honest with you listeners, I debated whether or not to even mention it on air, given it has about as much credibility as the idea that Harold Holt was abducted by aliens. However, given how well known it is and the unfortunate number of books, papers and blogs about it, with many suggesting it could be true, I really feel it is my duty as a historian to do my part and keep pushing back against this baseless myth. So here we go. In 1983, 16 years after Harold Holt's disappearance, British journalist Anthony Gray published a book called The Prime Minister Was a Spy. Ostensibly, this is a work of nonfiction, but the book makes a series of fantastical claims including that Holt had been a lifelong communist spy, a sleeper agent for the Chinese during both the nationalist and communist regimes, and that he had faked his own death and gone to live happily ever after in Beijing. Oh, please. Gray claims that Holt's mythical Chinese handlers had a submarine stationed off the Australian coast. It waited there for a decade as an escape route for Holt if ACO, that is the Australian Security and Intelligence Operation, ever found him out. Gray claims that Holt spied for the Chinese for an entire 10 years before realising that ACO were onto him and calling in his magical submarine to spirit him away. After diving beneath the waves at Cheviot Beach on the 17th of December 1967, two Chinese frogmen supposedly assisted him to the submarine and... Whoosh! Harold Holt was gone, and ACO erased any trace of his non-existent defection to cover up its own mishandling of a case that never happened. A slight variation on this tale is that Holt did not, in fact, go willingly with the Chinese, but was abducted, and, according to a letter now held in the Australian archives, was being brainwashed for information. This particular tale could have jumped straight off the pages of a Cold War comic book and really merits no further discussion. 
but coming back to the claims that Holt was a Chinese spy. This story has a number of gaping holes in it. Firstly, Cheviot Beach was too shallow for a submarine to be able to fully submerge, and the conditions were not conducive to submarine activity. Those same rocks, shoals, and other obstacles which had taken the Cheviot to her watery grave in 1887 were still there, and they would have seriously impeded any underwater approach. Secondly, the idea that a Chinese submarine was just waiting off the Australian coast for 10 years in the midst of heightened Cold War tensions without anyone noticing? Come on, it's laughable. We know that at this time, the Chinese were using diesel and electric-powered Type 033 submarines. These were Chinese-built, but they were based on a Soviet design. These submarines could have reached the Australian coast. They had a range of approximately 14,000 to 15,000 kilometers when traveling at low speed. But like all diesel and electric-powered subs, they needed to surface or snorkel to vent the fumes, clear their generators, and to recharge their batteries. Now, if a diesel-powered electric submarine had been lurking off the Australian coast for 10 years, especially if it was stationed anywhere near Cheviot Beach, because Cheviot Beach was a military installation at this time, it would have been spotted. It would have been seen snorkeling or surfacing. Diesel submarines at this time also needed to be refueled every 45 to 60 days. And a Chinese submarine couldn't have exactly sailed up to an Australian Navy base and been refueled. So to have made this work, the Chinese would have had to have had a constantly rotating pool of submarines going back and forth between China and Australia to ensure there was always a submarine ready to whisk Harold Holt away if ACO caught on to him. Now, this would have been impossible to do without Western intelligence agencies picking up on this pattern of back-and-forth submarines. Remember, the 1960s was a time of extreme distrust between East and West, with the Cold War in full swing, and everybody's ability to spy on everybody else was getting better with each passing day. Eventually, once this pattern had been discovered, the Australian Navy would have intercepted one of these submarines and the whole game would have been up. Also, at this point in history, China did not have an inexhaustible supply of submarines and didn't achieve full domestic production of the Type 033 until 1967, the same year that Harold Holt died. Now, prior to that, China had been relying on parts either imported from the Soviet Union, although this had stopped after the Sino-Soviet split of 1961, and the Chinese had been manufacturing their own parts from scratch while also using up those parts that they had got prior to the split. Now, in those years between 1961 and 1967, they had very few operational submarines. So they wouldn't have been wasting them by shuttling them back and forth to Australia, even if Harold Holt really had been their spy. So for this theory to have even the slightest grain of plausibility, the mythical submarine haunting the Australian coastline would have had to have been a nuclear-powered vessel that was able to stay submerged and undetectable indefinitely. 
Now, we know this is impossible because the first Chinese nuclear-powered submarine didn't launch until 1973. That's a full six years after Holt disappeared. I'd also like to point out that there are much easier ways of getting an agent out of a hostile foreign nation if they are caught. And if Harold Holt really had been a Chinese spy and had defected, the Chinese would have made a huge song and dance about it. This was common practice during the Cold War. Defectors were gold. This would have been an absolute coup for the Chinese and a huge slap in the face for Australian intelligence had this really happened. And the fact that the Chinese said nothing and have also made the occasional public statement over the years dismissing the allegations as false feels like the final nail in the coffin of this ridiculous and impossible tale. They wouldn't be hiding it if it was true. So, my fellow sceptics, I think it's time to load our historical torpedoes and blow this myth right out of the water. There was no submarine. Harold Holt was not a communist spy. And we are now in a position to answer the question that began this episode. What happened to Harold Holt? Well, there really is no mystery. He drowned, just like hundreds of people do at Australian beaches every year. The statistics for 2022 to 2023, over 300 people drowned, accidental drownings at Australian beaches. Now, those who cling to their conspiracies demand a body before they'll believe the Prime Minister could just accidentally drown. But there are dozens of perfectly mundane reasons why Holt's body has never been found. Could have been swept out to sea, eaten by sharks or other sea creatures, or trapped between the rocky crevices in the deadly underwater labyrinth that is Cheviot Beach. Now, one of Holt's friends and Liberal Party colleague, Sir Robert Southey, said in 1994 of Holt, he was a very good swimmer, a very good snorkeler, and he came back to Melbourne after Parliament had finished sitting, thinking, well, now I can relax. And there's one area in which I really am the unchallenged boss, and that's the sea. And I think in that sort of frame of mind, he went to the element where he felt liberated and misjudged the kindness in which his favourite element would receive him on that fateful day. And I think personally, that's really all there is to it. Sir Robert Southey puts it beautifully. Harold Holt wanted to relax. Going in the ocean was his way of relaxing, letting go for a little bit of the stresses of being the prime minister. And on this particular day, it all went tragically wrong. We don't need to be skeptical of the way Harold Holt died. He drowned. This was obvious at the time, and it's obvious now. It was confirmed by a coroner's report in 2005. And if you're interested in why that coroner's report was done so long after his death, you can check out my blog for further information. What we do need to be skeptical about is all these theories that crop up and try and twist his tragic and accidental death into something sinister. And we also need to ensure that his accomplishments in life are not overshadowed by his death. Now, I'm going to take another quick break here. And I'm going to come back and tell you about just what an awesome politician Harold Holt really was. And we are back. 
So now that we know what happened to Harold Holt and have dismissed all the silly theories that have gone along with it over the years, let's have a look at his record as a politician, as he was one of what we might call the first modern prime ministers of Australia. He encouraged closer ties with Asia, including China, both before and after Mao Zedong's revolution. And he began to pull Australia away from Britain's orbit. Now, he recognised the need for Australia to be a player in our own hemisphere, rather than just riding on the coattails of the old country. And Holt also began the long task of dismantling the white Australia policy. Heads up, you'll hear an episode about that soon enough which had all but prevented immigration into Australia for anyone other than white Europeans since 1901. It was a horrific thing. In fact, Harold Holt was stridently pro-immigration, and he recognised the benefits of a multicultural society, which was quite unusual in the 1960s. And this was despite his support for the Vietnam War. Now, he opened Australia's borders to immigrants from outside Europe. This included Vietnamese refugees. And he championed anti-discrimination legislation, which allowed these people to get jobs, to get housing, and to speak in their own languages. Harold Holt's other great step forward in creating a freer and fairer Australia was the 1967 referendum, which ended centuries of formal discrimination against Indigenous Australians. I want to state right now for the record that discrimination against our First Nations people is still a huge problem in Australian institutions, especially in the criminal justice system. And I am not for a second pretending that the 1967 referendum meant discrimination ended instantly. The referendum stopped the discriminatory practice of not counting Indigenous Australians in the Australian census. And legislation that followed ended the segregation of Indigenous Australians in public places. Now, this is a surprise to a lot of people, but Australia did practice American-style segregation. A sign reading whites only would have been as common in Sydney in 1960 as it would have been anywhere in the American Deep South at the same time. Another piece of legislation which came off the back of the 1967 referendum was the end of formal policies which saw Indigenous children forcibly removed from their families and trained either as domestic servants or farmhands. You've probably heard of the people affected by these policies called the Stolen Generation. I don't have time to go in depth into the horrors of this and other discriminatory pieces of legislation against Indigenous Australians in this episode, but you can bet your pants it will be the subject of a future episode. As well as being the kind of man who wanted to help his fellow humans, regardless of their skin colour, Holt was a reformer in other ways too. He oversaw the currency reform, moving Australia onto decimal currency, and he was also a huge supporter of the arts. If any of my fellow sceptics listening today have visited the National Gallery in Canberra, you can thank Mr Holt for funding it. He created the legislation which saw this wonderful institution planned and built, although unfortunately he died before it could be opened. Now, ultimately, Harold Holt should be remembered as a prime minister who oversaw some of the most sweeping changes in Australia in the 20th century and who took the first steps to creating the Australia we know and love today. 
I think it's quite a cruel fate for this man to have his rather unextraordinary but no less tragic death overshadow the great accomplishments of his life. In a rather fitting twist, I think, one of the memorials to this man who loved the sea is a swimming pool, the Harold Holt Memorial Swimming Centre in Glen Iris, which you can visit. Now, there's often a few jokes cracked here and there about naming a swimming pool after a guy who drowned, but Harold Holt would have been thrilled that his constituents, and he was the sitting MP at the time, thought so highly of him that they named one of their newest public works after him. Now, was he perfect? No, of course not. But he was so much more than the day he went swimming and never came back. Listeners, I would like to close this episode with a minute's silence in memory of Harold Holt, and I ask that you please join me now. Thank you for listening. As always, if you have a question or a topic you'd like me to cover, or if you just want to join in the conversation, you can find me online at www.skepticalhistory.com. That's skeptical with a K. Connect with me on LinkedIn or follow me on Instagram by searching Juliana Byers on both platforms. And you can find this podcast on Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Google, and Spotify. Next time on The Skeptical Historian, we're heading back in time to the Australian gold rushes of the 1850s. New South Wales and Victoria in particular saw a huge influx of people from all over the world, all hoping to strike it rich. But what happened when so many people with different cultures, ideas and beliefs all came together? History would have you believe it was as egalitarian as Australia's ever been. But I'm a little sceptical. Catch you next time. And be sure to check out the special bonus episode, which is out now for Anzac Day. The Skeptical Historian is researched, produced, and hosted by me, Juliana Byers. You can find a full list of resources used in researching by going to my website and clicking on sources. The bibliography for this episode is available by going to my website and clicking on the blog post, What Happened to Harold Holt. Sound effects by Adobe Creative Cloud, used under the Adobe Software License Agreement, and Pixabay, used under Creative Commons 4.0 International License. Links to all Pixabay sound effects can be found on my website. The music track The Whistle Funk by Telsonic was used under an Epidemic Sound individual license. Podcast hosting is by Fusebox. See you next time, skeptics.